0: Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on the Celtics blog podcast feed. It is April 17th, a Friday, even though I think we're going to post this on Tuesday. It's the coronavirus edition number three here, so we post when we post, and usually the news doesn't change that much. I'm Adam Motenko. I'm here as always with my twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, Josh?
1: What's up, Adam? That's right. Identical twins. That means I'm half the egg with twice the
0: basketball experience. Let's do this. (laughs) Somehow, that's true. But I used to be so much better when we were little. And good friend, Mike Minkoff. What's going on, Mike?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not a Motenko, Adam. I know. I, I almost you said You almost that. said it, but no, I am a Minkoff. Uh, <laughs> how are you guys doing?
0: <laughs> doing great. I'm sorry you're not a, a Motenko. It's it must suck for you. You must worry it, about that every day. It's
2: hard, though. You know, I, I don't have those luscious, uh, those luscious red locks. What can I do? <laughs>
0: Today on the podcast, we're going to give a quick update on the season. We're going to look at the Celtics' salary cap and the implications of potential major losses by the NBA. We'll talk about how the Celtics fit into next year's championship picture, assuming this this season is over. And we'll talk about some news about the NCAA and the G League. Uh, to kick us off, uh, Adam Silver, I guess, just finished a Board of Governors call. Mike, I know that you've been watching the Twitter sphere. What I do. And, and- responses to to what he said there, but he came out with some comments earlier this week, uh, within the last week or so, basically saying that uh, March 11th was the date that they suspended the season, and he doesn't feel like he knows much more at this point about what is going to happen. He definitely does know that no decision is going to be made in the month of April, which doesn't necessarily mean that May 1st he'll have a decision. Uh, But they're still waiting and seeing. They have decided that they're going to stop paying
2: players starting on May 15th. Um, They're going to reduce the pay. I think it's a 25% 25 reduction. Uh, They're not going to completely stop paying them, but it's going to be a 25% reduction in in their pay starting May 15th.
0: Okay. Uh, They haven't closed the door to continuing this season yet. I I think it was um, Woj said that one of the things he heard was that uh, Labor Day would be sort of a cutoff date for if they haven't finished the season by that point, they kind of need to. And I think it, it sounded like it was related to they, when they the haven't finished it by then. Yeah. Oh, Labor if Day. Yeah, yeah. So early September, if they haven't finished the 2019, 2020 season, the playoffs crowned a champion by that point, then it probably will not make sense. And of course, they're planning based on well, if we have X number of days left in a season, Here's what we can fit in, and here's how it would look. And there's multiple permutations, but that date sounded like it was related to uh, the football season and and competing for market share. Um, and who knows what is going to happen with the football season and that start date. So as much as it might uh, be opposed to what you guys want to believe that this season is over, that door has not closed yet. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I am hold up in my quarantine bunker, keeping the idea that uh, this season is, is over six feet away, uh, at minimum. I don't want to hear that.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and for, for our, our new listeners, um, and, and even for any of our older ones, just know that, that Josh and I have, have some, uh, some stakes placed on, some bets placed with Adam here on, on the outcome of this season. Josh and I,
0: Steaks. I
2: thought it was brisket. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it'll be a nice smoked brisket uh, that Adam will be sending to each of us when the season is officially canceled. Um, so yeah, that's so
0: th- pricier than I realized
2: last week when we yeah, made this bet. Yeah, we're we talking the okay. barbecue. Yeah, you're probably you're probably going to have to, you know, purchase your own smoker and uh, and really do this the right way. I think I think Mm -hmm. we'll just make you spend thousands of dollars before this is all said and done. (laughs) (laughs) I want I want that DIY. brisket. That's right. That's right. A nice dry rub on there.
0: (laughs) You just want access to the smoker to to cook
2: things up. Let's not let's not let's not get into rationale. Let's just get into the outcomes here. (laughs) It's going to be me eating a delicious smoked brisket. (laughs)
0: I thought the right way would be to send something from Austin, Texas, the, the, my favorite place to get brisket.
2: Also, also an option, and I'm sure Franklin's Barbecue uh, is hurting, and that's a wonderful, wonderful establishment. So, yeah, let's 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 put some money to them. I'm all good with that.
0: And just to clarify, this is this is uh, this is a dinner that that I owe both of you, or you owe both of me, and if if the season, <laughs> we
2: owe both of you. <laughs> Yes,
0: because <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> one of me is going to eating one going to eat one dinner from one of you, and the other of me, it's it's a two stomach situation over here, two dinners at the same time. It's it's a bang bang, as Louis C.K. called it. Um, so so, but but if if the season, if we crown a champion, this in in 2019, tw- 2020 I win that bet, and if this season is over and scrapped, you guys win. And I just want to remind you, Josh, I still owe you. I still have to pay you for the Marcus Smart bet about whether he would shoot league average from three. From two years ago, so this is going to help prompt me to to pay up on that.
2: Now that we've gotten that very important um, context in place, just to add uh, Adam to your update on on the status of of the call that Adam Silver just held, a few a few kind of tweets from from NBA reporters around the league. Jared Weiss with the Athletic noted that a major takeaway from the call was Adam Silver emphasizing the mission statement uh, of the league is prioritizing um, public health over profits and there being alignment with ownership behind that message to maintain the league's strong PR. Kevin O'Connor with the ringer effect summarized the call with a shrug emoji (laughs) as far as what, what will happen next. Um, Tim McMahon from ESPN quoted Adam Silver saying, as I sit here today, there's too much unknown to set a timeline and even too much unknown to say. And Adam Himmelsback from the Boston Globe noted uh, that Adam Silver said the NBA will be looking at whether new infections are coming down. The availability of large-scale testing, vaccines, or antiviral treatments, uh, and then CDC um, and state rules that are that are in place, and then with Adam Silver going on to say, "We're not even at the point where we can say if only A, B, and C are met, there's a clear path." So, I think all right. of that taken together puts a nice big question mark at the uh, on on all of this and and what what the future for this season holds.
1: I feel like that, it puts it puts a little bit of an exclamation point on the uh, the inevitability of the closure of things. If it's if months are going why? by and you, you still because if months are going by and you still can't say this or that or you know these things that they're waiting for vaccines, antivirals are so far. I mean, people are saying that's a year to two years away. You know, like I don't think I don't see how this season won't be canceled.
0: Just because you can't see it, Josh, doesn't mean that other people <laughs> don't have vision. All right, I, I, I hear what you're saying there's, there's some, I agree with Mike it's a huge question mark we still don't know it's, it's sort of an update but not really an update and, and it, it jives with a lot of the things that other reporters have been saying even including things like well yeah there's the idea of using Vegas as a place to hold the rest of the season to quarantine everybody to test them all it relies on testing
2: and, and Celt- Celtics blog writer Kevin Smith with a had a came out with an article on yahoo sports keith Keith, sorry yes keith smith jeez kevin smith from clerks fame uh keith smith (laughs) came out with a a great article on on disney world um in in florida possibly being a a well a very well positioned location uh, for the to host a core a bubble a bubble version of the league yeah Um, that's worth checking out as as well
1: Bill Simmons was talking about recently that he he felt like it could happen in LA because they had two teams facilities both practice facilities and the arenas.
0: Yeah, I I Mike I know you've been watching. <laughs> Mike has been sending me uh, texts about information on China's season. Every time they postpone it, oh, you yeah. go, see, see. So they they still That's don't because know because I this can party just
2: yet. I taste that brisket a little bit more every <laughs> every time China pushes back their start date of the, the Chinese Basketball Association, <laughs> and
1: because everybody who is later on in the spread of the virus is looking at who was first to see how it's going. I mean, it's just it's only natural.
0: Meanwhile, the league is not making money, and Jared Weiss is, came out and said that. Adam Silver basically said the league's revenue is quote in essence has dropped to zero. Uh, he says teams' financials were uh, a part of the board of governors virtual meeting today. He reiterated several times that public health in the league that's that's the top priority. But but this is having a major impact. And and Mike, you've been looking at uh, briefly not briefly but but sort of um, an introductory look at at the cap implications of. What could potentially be a some some estimates are a billion dollar of losses for the NBA and what that means for different teams. What kinds of things have you been seeing?
2: Well, yeah. So Albert Namad, who um, for those of you on the NBA Twitter sphere that that do not follow him, he is he is one of the foremost uh, capologists in in kind of the NBA blog universe, um, and he he operates at Heat Hoops. Um, and he wrote uh, a, an article about a month ago in, in mid March, kind of breaking down the potential implications from this whole um, this whole coronavirus pandemic. I will not be getting into the nuts and bolts here, um, at least not in this 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 episode. But encourage you all to check it out if if that's your thing. Uh, the The main takeaway here is that if the league were to lose. Let's hypothetically say one million um, or one billion dollars in revenue, that prospectively could result in like a net reduction of fifteen million dollars from the, the projected salary cap. And just as a, a quick refresh, in at the end of January, the Celtic the Celtics, the league had updated its cap projections for next season. At 115 million dollars uh, for the salary cap, the current the salary cap for the current season is 109 million dollars. So it's going to be a six million dollar increase. So a 15 million dollar decrease would take that from 115 million dollars down to 100 million dollars, which would be a nine million dollar increase relative to the current year's salary cap.
1: De- yeah, decrease, but that's de- decrease,
2: that's still yeah. not that doesn't seem that huge to me.
1: Well, I mean, it's not it, like you're losing like 30 percent of the cap or something. N-
2: but if you are a team that has signed a lot of high priced players, say perhaps you have as many as four of them <laughs> or plan to have as many as four of them, it it starts to make your books uh, a lot tighter than they than they may have already been or or tight when they previously looked like you had some wiggle room. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to exactly how the the cap you know where the cap will ultimately come down the the league is going to have to see whether they're able to generate any additional revenue which is really the thrust behind Adams' theory that there will be a playoffs and a championship crown this year um, but so so it it's impossible I think to pinpoint what the cap next year will be but if you look at the Celtics so the Celtics were already going to be even with uh, the projected 115 million dollar cap they were already gonna gonna be potentially flirting with not just a salary cap, but the luxury cap, the luxury tax line, um with with really that contingent on whether Gordon Hayward was gonna opt in. Now my opinion is that with all of the uncertainty, financial uncertainty facing the league now, Hayward is almost definitely going to opt in for next season at this point with a, a pretty fat $34 million uh annual salary coming its way. Do you guys agree with that?
0: I think so. Uh I because it also means that this this cap reduction next year if it goes down to uh 100 million, it, it there were I, I don't have the list in front of me, but there was a list of 6 or 7 teams that had cap space next year with the previous estimates. Most of them were not quality teams, and I think we had talked about this on a previous podcast about which teams were potential suitors for Gordon Hayward or DeMar DeRozan was another player that has a similar opt-out like Hayward. And they're they're not contenders. I, I think the Hawks were one of the teams that I recall having some space that also had some potential to improve a lot. But it's mostly bad teams.
2: I think Memphis and, if, and Orlando yep. may have been on that list.
0: Yep. Yep. And if you if you reduce by 15 million down to hundred million or so the cap, that's just taking half of that money away from those those teams so the idea that Hayward is, is then going to be able to get a, a four-year contract worth enough to justify losing out on 30 what 4 million next year I don't think that that's going to happen I think he takes his chances after next year with with the in the open market and hopefully with an increased cap
1: and you'd think a lot of these guys are going to opt in you know anyone who's got a player option you'd think they're going to opt in after this year because it's guaranteed in a in a climate that where nothing's guaranteed,
0: which makes me think. I, I mean, this is going to handcuff a lot of teams. I mean, my calculations were that if Hayward opts in, that basically brings us to the the tax um, that was before this this decrease. And so, I, I I feel like that might even bring us over potentially. Yeah, I mean, I don't really possible.
2: I feel like there's some questions that need to be answered. I, I think I think it's too hard to say. Um, yeah. Right now, there's just too much uncertainty as to where the, the cap will fall. But, but I think I mean to me the, the central point here is that the Celtics are not are almost definitely if if Hayward opts in, they're almost definitely going to have basically no wiggle room in their in their when it comes to the cap. And if you look at their their roster, they're actually basically fully locked in roster wise for next season. The only player on their current roster, that doesn't that's not signed to some form of deal for next year is Brad Wanamaker. Uh Shemi Oj Ogil- Ogil- has a team option. So the Celtics could release him. Um, Ennis Cantor and Hayward, as we just discussed, both have player options. I'd be surprised if they don't both opt in. And Javante Green has a partially guaranteed contract. So
0: there's a team option for tice also i believe
2: there is a partial guarantee for tice um though i I think it's it most of it is not guaranteed so that's true we could release him but i would be surprised if we did that. that yeah yeah um so basically we're gonna my guess is that we barring some trades which you know with danny Ainge, is always a possibility um we more likely than not could end up with almost an identical roster minus Shemi Ogilvy and Brad Wanamaker. And even, even the, <laughs> the, the, the staniest Brad Wanamaker stands aren't, aren't going to suggest that that's um, a major loss. Well, and we, and we have three draft picks as well. Yep, exactly.
0: Uh, and maybe, maybe there's a chance that there's a, a, an exception that we are able to use on a player, but it's not going to be a ton of money. So I agree, Mike, this is, we're looking at a, A roster that's going to be very similar to what it looks like next year
2: so then the to me the question becomes let's let we're gonna we're gonna play a little game here for the next and then this is what we teased at the end of our last episode but let's pretend the reality that josh and i believe to be true actually is true and that the the season the the 1920 season is over Um, There no more games will be played. There will be no playoffs. No championship will be named. Um, I will
0: restrain myself for this hypothetical. What's
2: the point? What's the point? Get to the point. So, looking at the Celtics roster, understanding that they have little wiggle room, we're going to look at how viable are they as a championship contender. So, part of that is what do they have on the roster? Will it be enough next year? And then part of it is who are the other teams that are going to be in that conversation that we expect to be in that conversation and what, what are they going to be dealing with now that we've accepted the reality that this season's over. So they don't have the chance to evaluate some important aspects of their team through the course of a a successful or unsuccessful playoff run. And that's going to have some really serious impacts on some of their team building decisions. So looking first at the Celtics, their championship ceiling, I think we all agree, really depends, especially on Tatum's growth and and his emergence into a true super duper star. He's losing essential development time, especially in like the, the crunch time playoff situations to, to have a chance to kind of cement his confidence in that role. So to me, that's like a major area of concern um, when we're looking at the Celtics championship prospects for next season uh but in addition to Tatum we need Brown and Smart to continue to develop and emerge we need Grant Williams and Romeo Langford to show growth and and that they can be true steady rotation players as early as potentially next year and then as you guys noted we need we would need to hit on at least one if not more multiple of our draft picks next season what do you guys think of just the Celtics roster
1: yeah i would argue that that the bench the development of the bench specifically guys like Grant Williams and Robert Williams. I think that those guys' development is key. I also think, as I've said in previous pods, that Kemba Walker has another level to get to. Um, and his knee was really hampering him um, in a reoccurring way over the course of the year. But I thought that the, the Kemba we saw, especially finishing around the, the rim, is not the Kemba that is you know, at that elite level of where he was in Charlotte. Um, he did a great job adjusting to, you know, being on a team with a bunch of other stars, but I, I, I was waiting for the playoffs to see him raise his level of play one more notch. Um, and yeah, I mean, along with Brown and and Tatum and Hayward, you know, I didn't see smart as a guy who still needs to develop more. I think all we need from him is to keep doing what he's doing and and knocking down shots. Um,
0: wait, Josh, what, what is missing from what Kemba was doing this year that you think will, will be added?
1: I felt like his him knowing when it's time to take over kind of came and went throughout different weeks in the season based on how he was feeling, how his knee was feeling. You know, in the beginning of the season I felt like he was trying to acclimate and then as he got comfortable there was a few roadblocks with injuries and and he never really got to a point where he was dominating his feel for when to get other guys involved and when to when it's time for him to take over. I just felt like that was a little wonky, the way he would sometimes initiate offense or, or shoot several threes in a row. Um, and I always felt like his finishing around the rim was not what I remember from from him. You know, sometimes he would get a shot blocked or sometimes he'd be a little nervous. Um, so And that's kind of like what completes his game, right, is his ability to drive and finish and, and be shifty. So, and
0: how does Tatum's emergence? I mean, I agree, Mike, that it's, it hasn't been cemented, but I mean, when you're when LeBron calls you a problem and you go, Yeah, I kind of am a problem. I think that that's a huge confidence boost. Uh, and, and so he is now the man on this team and the crunch time scoring option number one. How does that? How does Kemba's impact? I mean, that's what I think.
1: Then Kemba slides into the number two scorer role, which is perfect.
2: I agree that that's perfect. I don't agree that he's fully there. Cause if you recall, I mean, most of Tatum's emergence happened while Kemba was injured and part of the, the part of the adjustment and awkwardness, I think that you're talking about Josh was what we were seeing when Kemba came back from that injury and, and adjusting readjusting with Tatum having emerged. And, right. and we were not playing that well at the beginning of March, as, partly as a result of that. Um, or we were not playing as well yeah. at the beginning of March as we had been in February. So to me, because, because Josh, I, I'm not sure if I disagree with you about Kemba or if we're saying the same thing a little bit differently. Um, but for me with Kemba, I don't, I definitely think he needs to be our second best player um, on offense. because and, and I agree with what Adam just said. Tatum needs to be our, our, our primary scorer and our, our, True kind of one a superstar um, for us to be competitive in the right way because I think Kemba has genuine ceiling that will be placed on him in in competitive in certain competitive matchups in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, but I, I think he can be he can kind of break out if he's got Tatum there to take the the full brunt of the other team's uh, defensive focus.
0: So right, that, that's so like he
2: can that's... be super valuable but only if Tatum is emerges.
1: Right. And so w- what we saw was Tatum was emerging and and Tatum was becoming the number 1 guy and in the playoffs young guys are going to play well when they're really feeling it and when they're not then that's when you need a veteran who's, you know, been around to 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 know like okay, now it's my turn or if I just get these guys a couple of shots here or there, I'll get them going again. You know, and I think that that's the the leadership that Kemba has the potential to bring that we just haven't seen yet because we didn't see him in the playoffs and we didn't see the, the top five players on our team really play that many minutes together. And we didn't see Kemba out there when Tatum was, you know, in the bulk of his emergence. So we just needed more time to develop. But there's going to be playoff games when Tatum and Brown are are off and you know, young players can tend to freeze up in those kinds of situations. So we need Kemba to be that steadying force.
0: I like this team's roster as is uh, in terms of its potential for improvement into next season, mostly just because the arrow is pointing up on so many of these players be- because of age. We have a ton- We have a very young team and um, it's really only Kemba, maybe Gordon Hayward, although that's Injuries for both of them make me think that I was going to say it's only the two of them that where I think there may be a decline that is based on age, but because of Hayward's injury and I'm digging what you were saying, Josh, about Kemba and his injury injuries this season. I think some recovery time is going to be helpful for both of them. Um, So maybe they stay stagnant. I I feel like I would bet on something uh, better than an improvement upon that as a baseline. Uh, but most of these players, especially the rookies, like, I'm so excited to not have to root for a bench full of rookies next year. Uh, I, it's going to be so nice.
2: We are literally going to draft three rookies and have a bench full of rookies next season.
0: <laughs> but all of these rookies will be a year older. I, I'm hoping those yeah, players... Yeah, that'll make a big difference. Yeah, we're not going to be relying on on Carson Edwards as, as a, a scoring option off of the bench so i I think this this team is is in pretty good shape especially when we start looking at the
2: others um are we ready to start
0: talking about the others we
2: are but i just the last question i'd say so before before we talk about the others what would you what if you had to like do a very premature guess or or prediction of what tier like what level of what tier within the conversation of favorites the Celtics would fall into for next season? Where would you put them?
0: Well, they were a top three team in the East this year. I I would say a top six team towards the end of the season. So they're definitely top six.
2: Um, Would you, would you call the, would you call them a, a, like a, a true contender, like a top contender?
1: I would. I would say that they're that they're in the first tier because there's so many things that could go wrong with these other teams. I, I want to
2: revisit really... the conversation after we have the... I want to revisit where we feel after we talk about these other teams in a little more depth to see if that changes our thoughts.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after paying some bills right after this. Okay, we're back. We are continuing the conversation about what the championship picture looks like in 2021, where the Celtics are are in that picture. Let's start by looking at two teams out on the West Coast. Josh, you uh, have been thinking about the Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George's situation there and their contracts. LeBron with the Lakers. Assuming the season ends this year um, and, and we're looking at next year, where do you see the Clippers in this picture, Josh?
1: Yeah, so these are two teams that have, I mean, if you look at the Lakers, literally their entire roster is off the books after next year. So going into next year, once the season is canceled, it's one more year for everybody on that roster, except LeBron James, who has a player option for the, the uh, 2021-22 season. So, I mean, the I don't see LeBron wanting to leave LA. I think that he'll just continue to live there. And you're looking at the Clippers as well as a team with most of their roster, specifically Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in their final year with then again a player option for 21-22. So you don't know what, you know, both these teams could fall apart if their stars decide to make a big decision to to go somewhere else. Um, And these are also two teams that, unlike most of the league, their executives aren't really making the personnel decisions and calling the shots their stars their players are doing that and obviously we saw Kawhi Leonard do that this past summer and show his clout in bringing Paul George to the Clippers and you know Boston fans should be familiar with the the uh the the executive team of of Doc Rivers and uh the little redhead guy I'm forgetting. Lauren his name. Frank. Lawrence Frank. Um, <laughs> <Little redhead guy. laughs> I'm a redhead. I thought so you were so going to say, say Rock Divers. <laughs> As a redhead, I can I can say that. But um, yeah, I mean Lawrence Frank does a great job and still his players are are calling the shots there. So for teams going that that are in which the coronavirus is affecting their future trajectory, you know, the Clippers, for example, gave up so many draft picks to get into this situation. Um and at the whims of these players' desires, this, you know, their whole plans could be out the window. So what does that say for their champ- championship contention in 2021 in the last year of these players' contracts because they're both going to be under intense scrutiny throughout the year. You know, if they don't win this one year, it's over potentially.
2: Yeah, I just I find this Clippers situation so fascinating because as you noted Josh, you know, Kawhi Totally strong arm the Clippers into giving up this massive haul of assets um, uh, to the Thunder so that they could get, bring in Paul George so that Kawhi could have the teammate he wanted. And then I, it seemed to me that Kawhi and Paul George kind of surprised the Clippers by signing these two year deals with a player option yeah. instead of longer term commitments. So, as it was, it was already like the, the Clippers were already given a much shorter rope than I think they originally realized they were going to have. And now if you just wipe out the remainder of this season, they lose 50% of their opportunity to demonstrate in playo- in the playoffs that this pairing can work and work at the highest level to justify the gamble that they made
1: and that's not really that's not really the culture that you want you know culture isn't really created in a vacuum with intense scrutiny and pressure and a time limit that's really quick you know culture needs to be organically created and have time and room to breathe you know so hey, least, don't you, don't, you,
2: don't let don't let your culture conversation get in the way of my personal brand man <laughs> Josh what's the
0: impact as as a coach on on the team when you have players going yeah we'll see What's the impact on the coach, on on uh, future planning, and on the other players' decisions to play there or not? Uh,
1: I don't think, honestly, there is that much impact because the coach, you know, in a situation like with the Lakers with Frank Vogel, that he's not he's not calling any of the shots anyway. It's really he's respo- <laughs> everybody's responding to LeBron, so you know you're following him. That's who you follow. Whether you're a coach, whether you're a GM, you know, you're following him, and if he says. Something specific, you know, that's what's going to happen.
0: If you're Anthony Davis, do you regret not signing an extension now that it sounds like we're looking at a, a decrease in the cap and he has an opt-out?
1: Well, he's got the player option. I would assume him to take it. But, you know, he, he's after this year, he would have to say yes to his player option. We're assuming he's going to step into that. And then you can start the conversation, as you You think he opts
0: Adam, in yeah. short term for the one year? For, I think 20, I no. see
1: everybody opting in if the season's canceled and we still don't know when it's going to be back yeah i would i would expect everybody to opt in i think that's the quickest way to continue business as usual to to keep the guaranteed money i mean you're still anthony davis it's not like you're you know after a year of not playing you're all of a sudden a different you know player you're still valued
2: yeah i think i think it's a little it, it's still a little tough to say because um, maybe the league can come up with some creative way to kind of you know the reverse of what they propose doing when the cap spiked that you know the ca- a cap smoothing on the on the decline um but assuming they can't do that or or the players or owners reject that um then I agree that people are just going to be opting in and taking, taking the money that's been guaranteed to them. You, 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 you know, you've got to have optimism. That's probably next year. And certainly by 2021, 22, um, revenues are going to kind of return to where they were. Um, So, so players probably just need to navigate a year and a half or so of uncertainty here. um, And I don't think anyone out there is going to be feeling bad for them relative to the uncertainty the rest of the world is dealing with. So,
1: so and so here's the the Celtics' advantage in that situation. If you look at the top six teams, uh, competitive wise, you know the, the Clippers, Lakers will get to the Bucs, Philly, Houston. I mean, and then the Celtics. The Celtics are really the only one who knows that their core is going to be intact long term and doesn't have any rumors, doesn't have any speculation about Yet. certain players not being able to get along with each other sure yet but the you know that's the that's why i consider the celtics in that top tier because everybody else has this fatal flaw you know where th- everything can fall apart from a, a business perspective from a star making a quick decision perspective um you know we'll, we'll get to the others
2: yeah is there anything else you want to say about the lakers josh no i mean they're
1: the Lakers and the Clippers are not the only teams in this situation. The Bucks are also in this situation.
2: Yeah. Um before we get to the Bucks, Adam, why don't why don't you why don't you tackle uh, Yeah, I was
0: going to talk about Houston. Yeah. Uh they when we when the season was the regular season was postponed and the assumption in my mind now is the regular season is is mostly if not completely over. The thi- we started talking about what the the sort of things that we are going to miss about seeing in the rest of the regular season. One of them was whether Tatum could cement this uh, confidence level and, and himself as a top ten to fifteen player in the league and a number one option. The other that I mentioned was not seeing the Houston Rockets show what they could do here because they really uh, bought into to small ball in a way we have not yet seen in the NBA's history. They are bringing back all of their core players next year. And um, I think that they – I mean, they you have to consider them a competitor just because James Harden is as good as he is. Uh, I love the Covington move. They still have Westbrook, Eric Gordon back from an injury. Daniel House is still on this roster. P.J. Tucker, their starting center, is still there. I mean, they're losing guys like Tyson Chandler, Tabo Cephalosha, maybe Austin Rivers. Even Ben McLemore is still is coming back. Um, Jeff Green is, it will not be. Bruno Caboclo is still two years away from being two years away, in my opinion. They won't have Damari Carroll. But, I mean, there's these are minor, minor role players that are not going to be back. So that, that core is still there. The big question mark with them, in my mind, is what's going to happen with Daryl Morey? Who's going to be calling the shots there? Um, who's going to be coaching the team? Because there has been some some front office and coaching strife with this new ownership team, and uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty there, and you never know how large of an impact that can have on the team. So I'm, um, I'm also yeah, wondering if
2: if Tilman Fertitta, the this, uh <laughs> new owner, this combative new Rockets owner, uh, will be will go broke before the end of this pandemic. He, most of his fortune is in the hospitality industry and and some of the the things i've been seeing is that he's he's seeking additional financing to kind of tie it over um tied over basically his businesses and his, his hospitality empire uh which is getting pretty ravaged right now um i i don't actually think he'll be broke but he's already been a bit of a spendthrift uh so Am I using that right? I think so. What, what does that mean? <laughs> he's been, he's, he's, he's not exactly been, he's been frugal. He's been frugal. Yeah. Yes. He's been frugal. Uh, maybe he'll
1: sell, maybe he'll sell the team and Mori can keep his job.
2: Yeah. I bet Mori kind of wants out at this point secretly. Um, but so I, yeah, I think this team is super fascinating. I, w- I was with you, Adam. I really wanted to see how this team looked in the playoffs. I had, uh, talked about my my maybe unhealthy fear of Houston after they uh, demolished us. W- what was it? Early February. Um, Josh, I know you weren't convinced of their their prowess at that point, and they like immediately went on a six game losing streak against some pretty <laughs> cruddy competition, which didn't make my take look so good. But I, I'm still very interested to see what's to come for this team. I don't think D'Antoni will be their coach next year. Everyone seemed to to agree. But it's interesting if this if the playoffs don't play out, like do they get a pass? Do they get to punt on all of those decisions?
0: I don't believe that D'Antoni is under contract for next year either.
2: No, this he's was a lame duck year, right? Yeah. To me, they're definitely not a tier one contender next year. Uh, but because of how great Harden is and how sometimes great, good uh, Westbrook is. I, I do think they deserve to be talked about in the in the contender conversation, at least generally.
0: Let's shift to the East Coast. Were we done on
2: Houston? I was just going to ask Josh if he had any thoughts. He's been he's been very quiet about Houston.
1: Yeah, let's keep it going.
2: <laughs> okay. I want to know what you. I want to know what you guys think about the Bucs and Philly.
1: And then I want to talk about this uh, this G League thing, which I think is huge news. All right, Adam, where are
0: we going? Let's go to Philly. I'm looking at their cap sheet right now, and it's kind of fun to look at. i got to be honest. So this is a team that, as we all know, they, they underachieved this year. It, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, there's major questions as to whether they can play together. Uh, Embiid does not like playing out on the perimeter, and Ben Simmons can't shoot. So... Uh, the Al Horford contract has been panned, and if the cap goes down, it that just looks even more gross. Ben Simmons' extension kicks in next year, so he's going to start making 29 million. They do have their core together. The question is, can their core fit together? I mean, they, they've got 147 million on the books uh,
2: with that is, is an it, unbelievable number. So, 40, that is or 10 an or 11 players. Unbelievable number. Josh Harris, that's his name, right? The Philly owner. Yeah, he must be so unhappy right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge luxury tax bill, but this guy
0: wants to win, and uh, he thinks that a huge front court is the way to do that, or a huge lineup altogether. Uh, I mean, this this is this. Do they even fit within the top six teams in your mind next year? I don't.
2: They're not in mind. It's hard to put them there based on the way this season has gone. Um, you know, they, to me, they have a similar question that they don't get to answer via the playoffs as, as the Rockets. Like, does this actually work when it matters? Can Embiid Simmons, is Embiid Simmons the pairing that they want to stick with? Uh, do they want, do they want to keep, keep running it back year after year there? I mean, on its face, you've got these two top, what, 15 talents, 15 to 20 talents in the NBA. And they, they're super young. They're under contract, under under cost control. That, that should be everything any team would ever want. Uh, but it's unclear if they can play together. And the, you know, Philly was p- potentially going to have a chance to answer some serious questions based on how the playoffs went. If the season is now over, that, that makes it that, that gives them that much less information to make some really important and tough off-season decisions with. Um, of all the teams- None of that answered your question, Adam.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, of all the teams that have, that had have major question marks, they're at the top of the list. And if you, because you don't, in this hypothetical, you don't get those questions answered for this year. What does that mean you have to assume about the answer to the question, whether they can coexist or not? It
1: means that you assume that that Philly and Houston are at the bottom of the top six. They're the worst of the top six teams, and I would think that you ask anyone around the league, and they're going to talk about the Clippers and the Lakers and the Bucks as being, you know, in the top three.
0: And so, therefore, do you need to make a move? Do you need to trade Simmons potentially?
1: I, I mean, I, I don't think that's the fix. I think, I think you're. I would play it out with those guys and see what happens. That's what I would do. But if because you've already made mistakes, you've already you know lost too many guys, um, and and made decisions like signing Horford, that that takes money away that you could have put elsewhere. So, I don't think there's a whole lot you can do with that roster, but play it out. And it's it's the same with Houston. You know that's why that's why that's why the Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers seem to be towards the top. So, I, I think that they're they're less of a threat to the Celtics for sure. To me, the Bucks situation is the most interesting because they've been so dominant through the regular season.
2: Mm. So, for the Bucks, what's fascinating to me is again, you know, people were already starting to murmur about Giannis uh, and and his upcoming free agency in the year after next uh, for the twenty, you know, the twenty one twenty two off season. And the Bucks basically, obviously the, the 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 future of the franchise depends on being able to retain Giannis. And a big piece of them being able to be compelling in that, but you know, conventional wisdom would suggest was is winning a championship. And the Bucs are gonna have the opportunity, the first opportunity to offer a max extension, uh, the full five-year max extension to Giannis after this offseason. The Bucs were want uh, statistically have been one of the most dominant teams in the regular season ever this season so far. So if this season wipes away, disappears, they they may have been but you know, in some corners they were kind of the the front runner for the championship. Um though I think there was still some skepticism in, in most most national NBA media corners um relative to the Lakers and the the Clippers. But they were certainly no worse than top three and they may have lost an opportunity to, to win a championship with Giannis before he has to start making decisions about whether to sign that max extension. If he doesn't sign that max extension, then he's they're basically have this lame duck year next year, which is going to put all sorts of pressure and unwanted storylines and unwanted conversations and distractions facing that team throughout the entire season. So I find that to be really interesting to think about. Um, it would drive me insane and terrify me if I were a Bucs fan. What do you guys think?
0: I'm starting to like the Celtics' chances.
2: <laughs> now,
0: that we've, now that we've thrown all of these teams under the bus, the Celtics have, seem to have a, a pretty good shot here.
1: I think Giannis is, is a different beast than what we've seen repeatedly over the years with uh, free agents because he seems to be more loyal and more uh, interested in, in, you know, the culture that he's been a part of there. And um, you know, one of these, one of these guys who maybe hasn't changed that much from who he was before he had all the money kind of a thing. Like he seems to be a really genuine guy. He seems to have good relationships with everybody in the organization. I would not be surprised at all if he stayed with Milwaukee and kept it running there. But you know, you, you would assume that anyone else in his situation would jump to a bigger market or, you know, do everything that the big free agents have done over the last decade.
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say to that is that the exact same things were said about Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant was younger and Kawhi Leonard.
1: Silence. That's Um, it. That's
2: it. That's That's that. I feel feel like that's enough because yes, there are, there are the guys like Dame Lillard. There are guys maybe like Donovan Mitchell too early to say for sure. but, that are, that are totally born for and built for staying in the small market. Tim Duncan, obviously, the, the primary example. Um, and I hope Giannis is like that. I, I, would, I want him to stay in Milwaukee because I think it's better for the league on a million different levels. Um, but I do think it creates all sorts of pressure, uh, and it it hurts Milwaukee that they didn't have a chance to have a potentially championship playoff run this season in this maybe hypothetical where the season's already over. (laughs) It
1: makes it so that all of the Celtics competition are, are going to be playing under more intense scrutiny than probably the Celtics will be. And, you know, I'll turn it back to you, Mike. Do you think the Celtics
2: are in the top tier? They're, they're definitely no worse than fourth to me. Um, I think, I mean, going through this exercise does actually make me feel like the Celtics benefit more than most other teams from not having a playoffs this year, because we've been saying all season that the one thing the Celtics need the most is just a bit more maturation and growth and, and better health and having this kind of period of rest gives them a chance to get healthy, assuming that they can get back in the gym, you know, uh, within the next handful of months um, and with enough time to prepare for the next season. Then, I I would feel I would feel good about their chances. Yeah, I'd put them in the top tier.
0: We're missing one really important team here on this list. Can you guys guess who I'm thinking of here?
2: Uh, Toronto, Toronto, T-
0: Toronto is one team that should be considered. They do have Kyle Denver. Lowry coming back. Denver My is man. another team. So Denver's got everybody except for Millsap basically coming back. And you've got – I mean, you've got – Denver is another team that is young and maturing. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, uh, Gary Harris, Jokic, obviously. these th- Their trajectories are also going up. And the team I'm thinking about is Brooklyn. With Durant coming back, uh, they've, they've got a lot of talent on that team. They do have the uh, – what was it? The, the – Kyrie virus. Is that what they've
2: been
0: calling it? <laughs> Ky- 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 Kyrie-, 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 Kyrie 19. Yeah, Kyrie 19. Uh, so who knows with that. But when we talked about them last week. That may have been why they were not on the list. But these there are some other teams that need to be considered here. Josh, did you mention one other that, that we
2: didn't talk about?
0: Miami. Yeah, Miami. I mean, do we consider Utah, Oklahoma no. City, Dallas? No,
2: no. no. And, and so... I, to me Toronto and Denver definitely deserve to be part of the championship contender conversation but they weren't included in this list because they are not as affected um in my in my opinion on these other teams by by the season potentially abruptly stopping right now um that for the reasons you cited they're both in much more stable and stronger situations so yeah Toronto like the Celtics I think they're mostly locked in they they've got a lot of young uh, solid players. I guess they would be losing. Actually, are they losing Lowry and Gasol? No,
0: Lowry's back. They signed Lowry. Lowry's
2: back, but Gasol would be, Gasol's Gasol is, comes and, off and Abaca, Yeah, both come off. Okay, so maybe yeah, maybe they should have been on here. Oh well.
0: <laughs> so we learn. like the Celtics' chances next year. And one silver lining is that the players from the 2017 draft uh, are, are eligible for their uh, rookie, not rookie, yeah, rookie extension. Um, So that I can't remember what percentage that is, but it's a percentage of the cap. So if the cap is down for next year, that is going to favorably impact the teams that have draft picks who are max level players. So Jason Tatum, sign that contract,
2: Jason. Hopefully you can still afford afford that uh, basketball. Hoop that you need to build for your for your uh, <laughs> for your home for the next pandemic.
0: <laughs> you will definitely be able to afford it if you sign the contract. So always important to be a a prepper, a disaster planner, Jason, because who knows when you might be quarantined again. So let's get that hoop up. Let's get some shots up next time. Uh and Fox is also a potential um, max level player. Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, potentially. So guys from that draft. It, that might be a benefit to those teams. Uh, but let's let's shift gears here. Some other news has come out about the draft class of 2020, I want to say. The high school yeah. players going into college basketball this year. Two players have signed with the D League, the G League, instead of going to college basketball. Uh, that includes the number one player in this year's class, Jalen Green. And the I'm just sorry, looking for my notes. This here. Is for, 15 the, this is for the player.
1: This is for the 2021 draft, right? A year from yes, now. Thank you. The players coming into college.
0: It's the, it's the 2020 uh, high school class. So yeah. the number one player, Jalen Green, who's going to make 500,000 uh, in the G League, and the number 13 player in the um, ESPN top 100, Isaiah Todd, making 250k. This is a big deal, Josh. I know that you've obviously you've you've coached at that level, the D1 level in college basketball. You've recruited players out of high school. You've been following this story. What are you seeing here? What are the what's the impact of this?
1: I mean, it's huge. It's really huge. It's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling because, you know, the the way the D-League started before it was the G League, I mean, it kind of came about as this thing that was supposed to be like the farm system for Major League Baseball. And every team was supposed to have one. And then when it came out, it didn't work like that. And it also came out at at a time when the WNBA was starting. And so both of those leagues kind of seemed like uh, they weren't going to make any money. And, you know, but there was still, for whatever reason, a purpose to have them. Um, You know, the WNBA for obvious reasons and the D-League for, you know, the the potential of what it could become. But they both, both leagues kind of got a lot of pushback because they were losing money um and the nba and the ncaa have all been a part of this agreement that the one and done rule is in effect and and it seems like they've been cooperating to keep both institutions the ncaa and the nba making money and thriving in an effort, you know in, in an environment where basketball players make a lot of money and everyone around them does as well so um the it reminded me this decision of the, there was a documentary I saw called, um, God, what was it called from on Netflix? Um,
0: School: the price of schooled. college sports.
1: That's right. Um, uh, and it basically and it, was a focus on Mark Emeritt, um, who re- runs the NCAA and it was kind of a, a history of how the NCAA was started with college football back in the day, 60, 70 years ago. And it kind of exposed the ideal surrounding all of this, which is that amateurism is, you know, maintaining a sense of purity in the game. Um, And in my experience at the D1 level and knowing coaches for the last 10 years, the majority of the reasons I saw the NCAA stepping in was for illegal benefits, right, or academic integrity. And they would, uh, you know, players don't care about you know, much about both of those things. If we're being honest, they just want to play at elite level and get a shot to make it as a player. Um, and the NCAA was kind of acting as this self-appointed judiciary body for their own industry. So there's a conflict of interest there from the beginning um, and nobody wanted to, to mess with them. And um, everything changed when the, the uh, bribery scandals with the FBI came out recently. And a lot of big coaches, including Rick Pitino, got hit for that. But this has been going on, you know. Players, coaches have been arranging players to get bags of money for, you know, since the days of John Wooden, and it's been no secret. But no one wanted to talk about it.
0: You know, it's kind well, of just a, been this there's thing. There's another. That was, there's another great documentary about that called Blue Chips that came out in the '90s. That wasn't a documentary. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I'm pretty sure it was about Anthony Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal. No.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was more about Nick Nolte's life.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's really interesting. I mean, there's the Celtics actually have an assistant coach. Uh, he was, he's, uh, did he coach at Penn? No, where did he, he, Ehrman? he coached in Philadelphia? Oh, Jamie um, Young, Jamie Young. Yeah. So he got dinged recently for, for, uh, I, I think he was that, a part of the FBI. at
2: Penn State?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, Great yeah, right. reporting here by us. Uh, Killing <laughs> it. Killing it. This documentary, Schooled, is based on a book called The Cartel, which basically presents the NCAA as uh, a power broker holding a monopoly over collegiate athletes. And there's been class action lawsuits going back to Ed O'Bannon's case uh, regarding uh, using his likeness to make money. I mean, this. I'm I'm such, <laughs> I'm such a proponent for where it looks like the NBA is heading of getting rid of the age limit and allowing high school players back into the NBA, except that now they're developing a, a system to help the players uh, get to a place where they can thrive, even as young men, uh, which is what it sounds like There's this new situation is providing, and especially in a way that is competing financially to some of the, the teams overseas that were pulling players to China, to Australia last year. Josh, what, what are you seeing in terms of the compensation increase in the G League and, and the, the competition level in terms of keeping players at, at home in the United States where, where I, I think most of them want to be?
1: Well, so as the G League developed from the D League, I mean, originally they were getting like 10 grand to 40 grand a year, you know, riding uh, Greyhound buses, basically charter buses as a team. Um, and now, you know, a couple of years ago, all of a sudden, they changed, and seventy-five grand was what you could potentially make. So that started moving a lot of players from the overseas trajectory to the G League. But it wasn't really, but impacting not the best the... players. Well, well, yeah, exactly, because it wasn't impacting the top draft picks or any anything that the NCAA was involved in. Now, all of a sudden, if you're paying them five hundred grand, and there's a trickle down throughout that, you're going to now have good players from overseas coming back to the United States. As well as players, you know, from the draft that, like we're seeing, making commitments to to stay home, um, and it's basically the NBA saying we're going to control more of this process now. So, you know, whereas before a bag of money would potentially be presented to a player as a recruit from a booster of a certain college to get them to that college, whether they went to that college or not, um, now all of a sudden there's going to be a uh, and, and then another bag of money was potentially given to players after they graduated college or after they were ready to move on to the NBA by the agents. Now, all of a sudden, you have the NBA paying those bags of money to players. So, um, and it's going to be all legit. So it's it's just, it basically takes, the pulls the rug out from the NCAA in terms of their own control of the process and their ability to make money. And it takes a link that was, NCAA, or sorry, AAU to NCAA and then NCAA to the draft into a more direct one to one link of you're going AAU from high school potentially now to an NBA overseen middleman organization, the G League. Um, And, you know, that's going to impact the ability of agents to have control and AAU coaches to have control. Um, And it's just going to put more control where it should be, which is in the NBA's hands. And I think they've shown that they're capable of handling big responsibilities like this and making good decisions that are player-centered. And I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how this decision is applied over the next 12 to 24 months because how that happens can make a big impact on, on whether the NCA is even uh, in existence, you know, in the same way in two years from now.
0: There, the reports were that uh, Jalen Green, he's on a new California team that is going to have all all sorts of different developmental processes and, and supports in place, including uh, older players to mentor. Uh, do you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know enough about this.
2: I'm I was, I've been trying to find the the article. Um, I can't remember the author from the Athletic who actually profiled this quite a little bit ago, um, maybe six or so months ago, but. Giving, giving an early read uh, based on conversations with an NBA executive onto um, the vision that, that was being thrown around at that time, which seems to be uh, very in line with what they're doing, but basically having kind of a single consolidated team of elite prospects um, that will make it easier to sell TV rights, so generate revenue for the league than if all of those uh, more premier players were distributed across different teams um, and having it kind of emulate some of the bat, the basketball Academy models that have been used in other countries, whether France or, or Germany or uh, Australia, th- many of those companies have the similar kind of uh, uh, national academies for, for elite yeah basketball prospects. And, and as you're noting, Adam, they, um, provide these, these young elite athletes with, with mentors, uh, to help with kind of personal and interpersonal development and, and social skills, but also, um, with, you know, financial management, they give them access to, you know, academic, uh, uh, academic scholarships, or funding, or um, coursework, and and things of that nature. So they really are investing in creating a a, a, a truly nurturing environment. Um, it it just seems like an all around win for the NBA here, and and a, a very appropriate giant loss for NCAA.
1: It's it's also the first time that the NBA has finally you know after however many years the D League and G League has been in existence, the NBA is now saying that the G League is going to be a major player in a specific way. Um, it's the we've, I've kind of been waiting, like, what is this G League for? Like, what is it really going to be? Um, because, you know, it wasn't making any money. And it, it's always acted as kind of this pilot program, you know, but for what? Like, it was a, play, a breeding ground for, you know, stars who got injured to rehab a little bit and get their feet wet and get their their wind back before hitting the NBA court again or uh, of development place for GMs and coaches to work their way up the ranks. You know, Austin Ainge spent some time there as a coach, even though he went from an executive role and then back to an executive role with the, the big club, you know, it was a way for, for different people in the front office and in the coaching world to see different aspects of how the NBA works. Um, and then obviously to get, you know, players who are two years away more experienced and to get their feet wet. You know, but none of that was really impacting the the trajectory of the elite athletes or even like how the whole basketball scene works. I mean, just the fact that these mentors, NBA-appointed app- mentors are going to be involved in these players' life in that transitionary year, it takes, it takes away like, are you listening to your AAU coach who, you know, really has his own interests because he's looking at a bag of money? Are you, you know... Are you listening to agents who are pumping you up and telling you BS because you know they're trying to make money off of you? You know, it kind of takes like the way things have always been, where somebody, even your college coach, potentially is looking at riding your coattails into another gig. Um, you know, it, it kind of levels the playing field and takes takes the street element out of it a little bit. I think it. I think it. Could, I think it could have the potential for really changing a lot of. Of, of how the entire industry works and who's working in the industry. It professionalizes the entire thing by under one umbrella.
0: And, and in what way, like what has, who has been in, in, in the industry that will no longer be, or how does it weed certain people out? What, can you get more specifics? Um,
1: I mean, all of the big agents are giving back of money to players, <laughs> you know, as a, as a senior to sign with them. You know, it's, it's, you get a signing bonus potentially. So it's it's now all of a sudden, you know, I mean, obviously you're still going to have an agent, but you're you're now maybe getting more level-headed perspective instead of, you know, having no access to anyone from the NBA because you're just a college student. And here come all these agents at the end of your uh, your tenure in college when you're finally ready to go pro, whether it's after one year or after three. You know, all of a sudden now you're, you're bombarded by new people and you don't have a lot of resources as far as elite um, executives and coaches at the NBA level to give you sound advice. So you're, you're just having to navigate this path with all these people in your ear trying to figure out who do I listen to and who do I not. So all of a sudden now you have reputable people that you're listening to, you know, right out of high school. And I think, I just think that it's going to, it's going to balance everything out.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it seems to me like it, it won't get it right. It won't fully weed all of that out, um, but it would, it, it should have, it should be able to suppress at least a little bit, especially with, for the most coveted prospects um, and the, the highest ranked individuals. But then there's still, you know, the NCAA is still going to be around uh, co- college basketball will continue to generate revenue. So there's still going to be, those bags of money, uh, to go around and people to kind of act in predatory ways, just targeting the next tier of, of prospects. Um, I, at least that would be my guess. Sure. You could also argue that maybe, you know, people are going to,
1: the vultures will come to players e- even younger, you know, um, because now you, you have to get to them before they're ready to leave high school. Right. So now it just preys on even on, on underage people. Um, On minors right which is a whole other thing so there's there's some drawbacks to it and that's why i'm saying it really depends on how the nba kind of uses this and how this decision is kind of applied over the next 12 to 24 months like that's what's going to determine how much of an impact this kind of a decision will eventually have Uh, because you know the the trends that teenagers make as players really will start to have more and more value and clout in terms of, you know, well, if Jalen Green's doing it, then the next few people are going to do it. And maybe there'll be, you know, instead of one team of elite prospects who are all younger than the rest of the G leaguers, maybe now all of a sudden you have three or four teams like that. And you have more and more players who are going to be leaning away from the NCAA route um, because there's just so much at stake when, in terms of whether it's academics or whether it's like impermissible benefits the NCAA is known as the the organization that will take your ability to play away from you as a player. So why would you even risk that potentially if there's another option that's
2: viable? Yeah. I'm also interested to see if this becomes something that if, if, you know, early adoption by elite prospects such as Jalen Green, um, you know, begets similar and, and more adoption. And then, Positions the G League to be able to expand uh, the number of offers it's able to put out of this nature, um,
1: and it, it. I mean, it'll be curious to see if more fans start going to G League games, exactly. which were right. mostly unattended. Right, you know.
0: Well, they're all at locations that that are second, third, fourth tier cities that don't have a lot of
2: of potential revenue from you. Those put places. Some, I, You put some respect on Portland.
0: Westchester is. Uh, I I think there's a lot of potential value in in TV ratings if you're getting better players and you're getting better competition if you're playing within the system uh, of, of a parent team. I still think you're going to need to. So there, there's additional revenue generation that that uh, potential that can help support these higher salaries. But I th- think you're still going to need support from the NBA and the affiliated teams. Uh, to ensure that you can provide what you need to compete, and it's totally worth it. Uh, we will see a shift when the NBA does change their age restrictions, however they end up doing it and whenever they end up doing it. I don't think the James Weissman situation at Memphis this year helped the NCAA's cause, uh, since you can be a top
2: uh,
0: a number potential number one pick and still uh, have your season cut short, which is just not ideal. Um, so this is a huge benefit to the NBA and, and I think it, it can only help, especially when you're reducing the power of an organization like the NCAA, which I just don't respect all that much. So anything else before we end here? I think this
2: is a great time for us to end.
0: Thank you all for listening. We're, we're trying to provide some interesting content until the this season in 2019-20 starts up again. You guys, I, I am looking on the Uh, menu for Franklin's barbecue. And I'm going to send you a list of sides that I want with the briskets, the two briskets that I expect to receive through the mail from both of you frozen that I can. My stomach just
2: grumbled at the mention of of briskets. (laughs) I am hungry.
1: And guys, what are we teasing for next week? Adam, you have like a a top player ranking throughout the NBA and we're going to see where Tatum lands on it. Was that, was that it?
0: Yep. I'm going to tell you why Jason Tatum is a top 10 asset in the NBA. This year and going forward next time. Please download, subscribe, rate us five stars, yada, yada, yada.
2: Follow. Leave, leave feedback in the comments of Celtics blog, uh, the Celtics blog podcast feed, and thanks for listening. Bye.